welcome to Monsters and Mixers, the spine-chilling podcast guaranteed to quench your thirst for all things spooky and one thing drinky. Can't get enough of paranormal or true crime stories? Then this is the place for you. We are your hosts, Amy and Emma, and each episode will feature a new story and a new cocktail recipe to help calm your nerves while you listen. So grab your ingredients, pull the covers up tight, and prepare to be terrified by tales of the darkness among us. Welcome back to Monsters and Mixers. We are happy to be back after our week off for our vacation in New Orleans. And we hope you have had a chance to watch our Facebook Live from outside the Lollary Mansion. If not, head over to our page and check it out. The video is pretty short, so not a huge time commitment on your part. But we wanted you to be able to have a live shot of the mansion so you had a little more of an idea of what it looked like. And if you haven't listened to the Lollary episode, you can access that also. And that'll help you have like a little context to the when you're listening to this podcast it'll just give you an idea of what it looks like and everything it was pretty cool yeah we had a really good time in our favorite city we visited some haunted locations and indulged in a few adult beverages Um, but however we are glad to be back home bringing you some true crime and paranormal tales today's story is going to be a true crime episode we're trying to mix it up for our listeners so that we make sure to bring you all what you like yeah and Like we said before, Emma is really into the true crime, and I'm more into the paranormal side of things, so this keeps us both happy. Yep, and we both like the drinks, so win, win, win. Yep. Um, So, speaking of drinks, today's drink is uh, going to be a mojito, and it's California's most popular drink, and why California? Because our killer was born in California, but we will get to that later. Um, The ingredients include fresh mint, limes cut into wedges, white sugar, approximately two tablespoons, ice, one and a half ounces of white rum, and half a cup of club soda. And we went ahead and made ours ahead of time so you didn't have to listen to all the ice clinking and things like that. But the recipe's on our Facebook page if you don't know how to make a mojito or don't have a recipe. You begin by placing a small amount of the mint, about 10 leaves, into your cup make sure you pick a really sturdy glass because you're going to be crushing the lime and the mint with a muddler so put the lime and mint in the glass just take the muddler and kind of like smush it around it just helps get all the flavor out of the mint leaves and out of the lime you get the most out of it that way and then you're just going to fill it with ice pour your shot of rum in and add club soda and your sugar and stir and enjoy it's good. I like it. Um, Emma is not so much of a mint fan, so we actually did a little modification to hers because she hates mint. And I forget what you say. What'd you put in yours? Uh, basil. But basil. I do hate mint. I used to work at a coffee shop, and we had something called a green tea mojito. And just, like, the smell of the mojito syrup made me want to vomit. <laughs> it's so gross. I think one day we will actually get a drink that we both like. <laughs> Some someday. Actually, the spritzers we both like. It was hard to go wrong with wine. But. Yeah, but we haven't done a spritzer episode in a minute. We need to um, get one of those going. So if you have some stories, send them in. All right. Um, this is going to be a very heavy 
episode. Want to make sure that we give you a proper trigger warning. It does involve violence against women. There is rape and murder and things, and the obviously it's a true crime. Um, but once again, we're not going to be super graphic with it. Just want to make sure that we give everybody the proper warning. You may hear some thunder because for some reason we're living in a hellscape right now and it hasn't stopped raining in like five days. Five days. So we're just going to figure that I'll add a little bit of... Um, <laughs> you, yeah. you hear that right now? My cat is currently like boomeranging around the room with a toy. So she's got disregard her, that. She's got her poof going crazy. <laughs> We figured the thunder might help with the um, mood and atmosphere. Not so much the cat playing with things, but... <laughs> she's, she's doing a, her best. Yeah, she's a cat, and you can't make them do what you want. No. It's ridiculous. All right, hopefully you had enough time to get your drink and have it in, in hand, ready to go. So who are we going to be talking about today, Emma? We are going to be discussing America's most prolific serial killer, as the FBI claims yeah. him to be. And just so everybody knows, because I did make sure I looked it up, um, prolific as it's being used in this instance means um, an abundance of something, producing an abundance of something. Um, so that means this guy has produced the most bodies of all American serial killers. And I'm not trying to be a smart ass or act like you guys don't know things, but the ex-English teacher and me couldn't move forward without making sure everybody knew what we were talking about. So, either way, um, I don't think that is a record I would like to hold. No, and it is good to clear that up, because when I hear prolific, it's usually, like, someone who has accomplished an yeah. abundance of, like, great things. So, it is good to clear that up, um, but that is definitely not a record that I would want to hold either. But to someone like a serial killer, oftentimes, that is their goal, um, to outdo, like, all others in their field. And that is exactly what Sam Little, today's killer, did. He was only convicted of a handful of murders, but he has confessed to over 93 killings between the years of 1970 and 2005 that have been confirmed, and it is thought maybe from 1960 to more around like 2012. Yeah, and that's crazy. I can't believe someone could kill 93 people. Um, I just have to wonder how in the hell he got away with it for so long, and it makes my blood boil. It makes me so mad to think that 93 people are no longer on this earth because of this man yeah and um he got away with it for so long because mainly because most of his victims deaths were originally ruled overdoses or attributed to accidental causes um in some cases no cause at all could be determined and that is the bodies that they were even able to find in the first place as some were never found yeah and another important thing to note is that most of his victims i believe all of his victims were prostitutes and oftentimes when women of the night go missing it's not investigated as much as it should be because it's a very dangerous line of work and it's not uncommon for um, women in that line of work to go missing which is really really super sad yeah it's super sad um so many families being unable to have a body to bury or to put their relatives to rest is super upsetting and tragic yeah i couldn't even imagine never knowing with 100 percent certainty what happened to someone that i love it would be truly awful, and I always ha have to wonder how someone could knowingly and calculatedly take someone else's life. It might be easier to understand his motivation if we learn a little bit about his early life. 
Um, Sam was born on June 7, 1940 in Reynolds, Georgia. Not too long after his birth, his family moved to Ohio where he was raised mostly by his grandma. Um, it, did you find anything? I looked and couldn't find anything that said why his grandma raised him. Nothing's really said for sure, but he did claim that his mom was a sex worker or a prostitute as well. So maybe her working nights in a dangerous industry kept her from being able to properly care for the kids. Probably. I, I again, I, you know, say I feel really bad and sad for what some people have to do to survive and not degrading sex workers because, I mean, we don't want to shame anybody, but I don't think she did it because it was her aspiration to do it i think she was it was purely survival yeah the way that we view like sex work in a modern lens is a lot different than how it was back in the day because yeah now we have like only fans or like um women more so doing it because they know that uh, they want to do it and mm-hmm. they can make a lot of money by doing it and it's a way safer way to do it on your own terms but back in the day it was and still now in many places is very different story yeah um but he was also pretty messed up from an early age and according to his own words he began having sexual fantasies about strangling women in kindergarten when he saw his teacher touch her neck which is super sick because what five-year-old i i i I mean i'm not freud here but i'm not sure what five-year-olds has has sexual fantasies period let alone the simple act of his teacher touching her neck sending him into like a fetish phase and that could just be him being, like, ridiculous and over-the-top on purpose because yeah. I don't know if you would really remember having that exact, very specific thought at the age of five. Um, but who knows? Either way, very creepy. Yeah. I also read that he liked to collect true crime magazines that showed women being choked. I didn't even know that was a thing, but I guess there's a... They're probably underground, weird, yeah. beatnik stuff. The magazine version of the dark web i guess um besides his fascination with choking women he was also really big troublemaker when he was in school and um got in trouble a lot had lots of discipline problems all throughout his high school career and he also really struggled academically which probably led to him committing some petty crimes early on in his teen years um, sometimes when people don't have the necessary education to get a good job, they resort to crime to make ends meet, and this is exactly what Samuel Little did. In 1956, he was convicted of breaking and entering in Omaha, Nebraska, and was sent to juvenile detention, and obviously, he was not rehabilitated during his stay there because he continued committing crimes into his 20s, and it was at this time that he moved to Florida with his mom and worked various odd jobs to make ends meet. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting to note that there isn't really any childhood trauma documented or any like major triggering event noted that helps explain his desire to kill so i had stated earlier maybe if we looked into his childhood we would or emma stated maybe if we looked into it we would find out but i didn't ever find anything yeah and that is definitely unusual for a killer to not have abuse or trauma in their childhood at least like as the patterns of most prolific serial killer to go yeah I actually out of the ordinary I was actually curious so I looked it up to see what the stats were on serial killers and trauma like childhood trauma and I found an article online it was in the psychiatry advisor psych yeah that's what it was um and it was from June 26th of 2018 by a lady named Nicola Davies and she's a PhD so she 
pretty much did this study where she looked at nature versus nurture for serial killers. And it was pretty interesting. I didn't um, do a total deep dive on it, but the article stated that in their landmark study of 50 serial killers, they found that childhood abuse was more prevalent in lust serial killers. And a lust serial killer is someone who searches for erotic gratification from killing someone. So they get their jollies by killing. And so they were more likely to have had childhood trauma. And um, Samuel Little definitely would fall into the category of a lust serial killer. And the data that they found in their study also showed that a much higher percentage of serial killers were abused as children than people in the general population. And I think the number was 32% of all serial killers had zero history of abuse. So I guess it's possible that Samuel Little falls into that 32% that are just born with something fucked up in their head that makes them want to kill people. Yeah, or it's possible that he just never disclosed his trauma. Um, but either way, he was a horrible human being who definitely took great joy in killing women. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to get back on track and talk about what happened when he moved with his mom in Florida. So during the time he lived with his mom in Florida, he did everything from working in a cemetery to working on an ambulance. But none of those jobs seemed to be enough for him, and he started traveling a lot and committing crimes in multiple states. He was busted for DUI, fraud, shoplifting, solicitation, armed robbery, aggravated assault, and rape in eight different states. So please tell me again why this man was not in jail. He was an absolute mess, and the amount of people in eight different states, law enforcement, judges, whoever, that let him out, they they just absolutely were not doing their jobs. <laughs> My God, the cat has rammed her head into the dishwasher. <laughs> She's okay, though. She's shaking it off. It's good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the he was definitely a mess, and they definitely were not doing their jobs correctly. Um, but that is seems to also be an underlying factor in a lot of the things that we talk about. Yeah. But in 1961, he was sentenced to three years in prison for breaking into a furniture store, and he served time until 1964 when he was released. Um, once again, he was not rehabilitated in prison, and by 1975, he had been arrested 26 times in 11 different states. Yeah, and learning about the many times he was arrested and let out makes me think of the John Wayne Gacy documentary that we just watched. If you haven't watched it, it is really well done, really um, really interesting. We did that last week, mm-hmm. week before maybe. Um, but same situation, people had dozens of chances to put these men away and they just kept letting them out for some reason. And it what's so frustrating is there's probably that not probably we know there are still people in prison right now that got busted for like petty drug crimes meanwhile you know samuel little and john wayne gacy are being arrested for literally like molesting people and being let out yeah like not even halfway through their sentences yeah it's exhausting to see Um, But I'm going to just add to your anger because in 1982, he was arrested again. And this time in Pascagoula, Pascagoula, I don't know, something somewhere in Mississippi. And he was charged with the murder of 22-year-old Melinda Rose LaPree. 
Melinda went missing in September that year, but the grand jury didn't indict him for her murder due to lack of evidence. And I know what y'all are thinking. He got away with it again. No way. Yes. Yes way. He did. But it gets much worse. While he was under investigation for her murder, he was extradited back to Florida and tried for the murder of Patricia Ann Mount. Her body was also found in September of 1982, the same time that Melinda went missing. Yeah, so we're all like, yay, they're definitely going to put him away this time, right? Yeah, not so fast. Due to mistrust of the key witness and other witness testimonies, he was acquitted in January of 1984. Which just, are you kidding me? Seriously, what the hell? How can these people be so, so bad at doing their jobs? I just do not get it. Yeah, I know. And he was not finished with his plan either because Little then moved to California where he stayed in the San Diego area and just continued his murder spree. In October of 1984, he was arrested for kidnapping, beating, and strangling Lori Barros. And she was 22 at the time and thankfully she survived this attack. Yeah, she, um, very brave lady. I'll just say this because she, um, was able to recount her ordeal to everyone. And she says that on the night of September 27th, 1984 in San Diego, she was working as a sex worker when she says a man picked her up, but we know it to be Sam Little. He pulled up in his car, grabbed her and threw her inside and then drove her up a steep gravel road to a field where he threw her into the back seat, tied her hands behind her back and began strangling her. And she is quoted as saying, My natural reaction then was to fight, and it just made him push harder. It was a game to him. In the middle of the attack, Barros said she came to the horrible realization that Little's plan all along was never to have sex with her. He wanted to kill her. She drifted in and out of consciousness multiple times, and when she came to, he asked her to swallow while he had his hands on her throat. She says that he said, I like it when you swallow. Literally, psychopath. When he was finished attacking her, he tossed her out of the car, thinking that he had killed her. And she said she played dead for 30 minutes because she was terrified he was still in the area. She was eventually able to make it to a phone booth and call a friend to pick her up. Later, only after being convinced by her friends, she filed a police report detailing a description of Little, his car, and the location of the attack. And it thankfully... We actually then come across some law enforcement officials who wanted to solve this crime. So it was about a month later, a San Diego Police Department trainee named Wayne Spees and his partner read the report on the attack and decided they wanted to stake out the crime scene and try and track down the suspect. They weren't having it. They weren't letting it go. And on October 25th, 1984... He went, Little went back to the area and was found by these officers with an unconscious woman in the backseat of his car. She had also been beaten and strangled. This time he actually did get some prison time and he was sentenced to four years for assault and false imprisonment after accepting a plea deal and he did serve his time, but wait for it, it was only a whopping two and a half years, not four. <laughs> Which, with his rap sheet, with the amount... Hold, Hold on. on one second. My cat has plastic in her mouth. <laughs> oh my God. We're going to take a little break here. Hold on. Okay, we're good. I think it was, okay, good. It was just a bug, but she was chewing hard. Okay. In other, no in other news, <laughs> the cats have taken over the joint today. Um, Like I was saying, though, it really, truly, I with a rap sheet that long, 
how are you even allowing that man to plea down? I, I can't imagine how these women felt. And we know how Laura Barros felt because she made a statement about it. And there was a doc- documentary called Catching a Serial Killer, Sam Little. And she said in the documentary that I don't feel like I ever did get justice because he only got four years for attempted murder. So to me, that was just like, see... It confirms you are worthless. You're not worth much. And that would be exactly how I think I would feel too, knowing that someone who tried to kill me and someone else was just scot-free. Yeah. And um, I'm assuming probably the reason that she had to be convinced to go to the police and file a report is that because at the time she was a sex worker and she probably didn't want to be on their radar at all. Mm -hmm. Like he picked me up because I was on the corner or whatever. And just to see, like she finally got the courage to go to the police and that was all that he was given it's just disgusting Mm -hmm. but the only good thing to come out of his attacks on these two women was that the police were able to connect uh, collect dna samples that would later come into play because once again he was absolutely unchanged by his time in prison and when he was released in february of 1987 for good behavior he moved to la and committed 10 more murders yeah we're gonna take a little break here for a second um because i definitely need to refresh my beverage uh i'm super pissed off this really makes me mad yeah. i'm just fur- i don't know i'm furious and it's 8 40 and it's completely dark outside so i think we're about to get a storm <laughs> it's good times all right we'll be right back We are back with yet another arrest that occurred on September 5th, 2012, at a homeless shelter in Louisville, Kentucky. And he was extradited back to California for a narcotics charge. And while there, authorities were able to use DNA evidence to connect him to three murders. These are the only three murders that he actually was, um, I think, convicted of. The first was Carol Eileen Elford, she was killed on July 13, 1987. Guadalupe Duarte Apodaca, that's a mouthful. Apodaca. Apodaca, who was killed on September 3, 1987. And Audrey Nelson Everett, who was killed on August 14, 1989. Due to his connection to them, he was extradited to Los Angeles and charged, finally... They actually got something that's going to stick on January 7th, 2013. Yeah, and when we think about the timeline here, 2013 wasn't that long ago. No. Um, And he started doing this long before 2013, so it's, yes, I'm glad that finally he was charged and it stuck, but it's absolutely terrifying that it took that long and Mm -hmm. disgusting. But this brings his overall arrest total to more than 50 times in 24 different states, which is some kind of criminal record. Right. And I couldn't find two document documentations of this, so I didn't want to use this number. But there is one source that said it was over 100 arrests. And since I couldn't confirm it, we're not going to use that as the concrete one. We could definitely confirm the 50. Um, either way, I don't know if I have ever read of anyone 
having been arrested that many times and let go. Yeah, like arrested that many times in different states too. So these yeah. are completely different jurisdictions that he's being arrested in, and each one is just not really giving a shit. Um, but at this time, police began investigating his involvement in three dozen murders committed in the 1980s. And in total, he was DNA tested for his involvement in 93 murders, all of women over multiple states. He was tried for the three murders in September 2014 and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole three times over. He maintained his innocence until he began confessing to the murders in November of 2018. Uh, a few things to note about his victims. We've already talked about they were all prostitutes. I'm pretty sure all of them were. Um, but he was said to have driven around the country shoplifting, then selling the items from his trunk and like selling them to drug dealers and things like that. And then after he was finished selling his stolen goods, he would just drive around looking for women to murder, like these poor, helpless women. And I can't help but think, even though we don't have, I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, but the fact that he specifically sought out prostitutes, I think might have something to do with the fact that his mom was a prostitute. I mean, I just feel like that might have some connection. Oh, it definitely could. It also could just be him hating women. I mean, a lot of the times when we see, like, these serial killers whose sole target is women or sole target is men, they, like, get, like, this gratification knowing that they have power over one yeah. specific type of person. Like, knowing that if I see this lady on the street, I've already killed 90 before her, I'm going to get the 91st. Like... Yeah. So it could, I honestly, I would definitely go your route and say that that probably is a logical conclusion to go to. Um, and the fact that he knew that they probably weren't going to be looked into, there weren't going to be a lot of missing persons reports filed. Yeah. The only thing that like makes me hesitant is that he doesn't have, to our knowledge, any childhood trauma related to his mom being a sex worker, yeah. other than just having to live with his grandma, but he moved back in with his mom later on, so when he was old enough to not have to live with her at all. So mm -hmm. I don't know if he was like, I don't know. He, it's hard to I think he's just rationalize up. the irrational, but if anybody knows anything, message us and let us know because it's driving me crazy trying to figure out if there is possibly any motivation behind this. Yeah. I, I want to know. I need to know. <laughs> yeah. But many of his victims came to the trial and testified against him. A woman only identified as Hilda due to being a victim of sexual assault. The full names of his living victims were not released to the public. Um, but she testified that she had been a prostitute working the streets of uh -oh, Pas <laughs> Pascagoula, I think is what it is. Pascagoula, Mississippi, in the 1980s when she was uh, attacked by him. Um, and in court, she testified that Sam picked her up outside of a nightclub and she led him back to her apartment once inside, when the door closed behind them, she said he went for her neck and started choking her, like almost without hesitation. Yeah. And um, then he knocked her out with one single punch, and she said that she awoke with him straddling her on her bed as she as he continued to choke and beat her. And these stories, just so you know, are not for the faint of heart and probably will give you nightmares. Um, she was knocked out, and when she came to, she was submerged in her bathtub, naked except for a scarf tied around her neck, and she said that Little would yank her head out of the water with the scarf, 
punch her in the face and then push her back underwater. She drifted in and out of consciousness and eventually awoke in a hospital, unable to talk and with bloodshot eyes. And it doesn't say how she got to the hospital. I don't know if somebody found her. She, I, she just woke up there. Um, sadly, because her parents didn't know what she did for a living, she was, didn't want them to find out, she never filed a report. She didn't tell hospital staff or anything. What no, she did. But she didn't, she said that she was attacked by a burglar. Oh, that's right. I'm that sorry. That entered her home. Yeah. Um, but she didn't say, like, this specific man at this specific corner, like, picked me up. Like, she wasn't going to say that she recognized him. Right. Or that it was someone that she voluntarily brought back to her home. She did it under the guise of someone breaking into her house. Which, I mean, to, I mean, the police, his pattern was like picking women up he wasn't known to like break into people's houses and commit like crimes that way so they probably it probably wouldn't have like alerted any alarm bells for them well not that they cared any right not that it matters but um another victim who testified told the harrowing tale of when she was picked up by him the week before thanksgiving in 1981 she was picked up by him in a station wagon when he asked her for a date and she told him it would be fifty dollars no sooner had the car began to drive off before he cold cocked her in the back of the head and then punched her right between her eyes. Eventually, he began choking her, but she resisted by scratching and biting him. A few times, she managed to escape from the car, but he was able to drag her back, and she said it was like ring around around the rosies in and out. She also said during one of those times, a quote-unquote white boy on a bicycle saw her and asked if she needed help. And she was unable to speak due to having been choked. She opened her mouth, but no sounds would come out. And Sam told the boy, she's just drunk. That's my old lady. Yeah. And he was a big dude, too. It's worth noting. Like, he was not a tiny man. So it makes perfect sense that he was able to overpower these women so easily. She was able to make her way to the back, the cargo area of the car, and squeeze her way out. She was wearing only her shorts and flip-flops, but she ran across the highway to a nearby shipyard because she knew that they were about to do a change of shifts. And she would be able to kind of get lost in the crowd, so which is exactly what she did. She was essentially shrouded by the workers who were flooding out onto the streets. And because she was concealed in them, she was able to make her escape and make her way back home. Some people then took her to the hospital, and it was reported at the hospital that she literally had blood, like, seeping from her eyes, like tears from being choked and beaten, and that she couldn't swallow for two weeks. And this is the one I was thinking of. No police officers even came to the hospital, and she never made a report. She is quoted as saying during her testimony that they don't care nothing about black prostitutes in past Kagula. So these poor women, I can't imagine feeling so much like the world just didn't respect you or care for you at all. It makes me want to cry. I feel really, really, really bad for them. Yeah. The prosecuting attorney in the case, uh, Beth Silverman, believed this to be true as well and is quoted as saying, they were women who law enforcement at the time were unlikely to take seriously. Um, Many of the women Little murdered were transgender, and much like today, they were a marginalized group of women, a group of people. Um, Historically, law enforcement did not seem to focus too much attention on finding out who had committed crimes against 
these women, and these women being black women, black prostitutes, prostitutes, transgender people, transgender prostitutes. They just didn't really care. No, not at all. And it's unfortunate. We have to do better. And actually, we are doing better. But it's... Slowly but surely. Yeah. Um, the FBI has many videos posted where Little himself describes his unidentified victims. And only watch it if you want to be seriously pissed off because it's... I made it through two. And he was such a gloating bastard and seemed so gleeful and cheerful and literally in one of the videos says how he loved oh that that one oh yeah I remember her I loved her I mean he was just a sick foul disgusting human being I just can't even with it but if you have some family or you know of someone whose family went missing around this time during this time frame and they haven't been found definitely you can go and look because the hope is that someone will recognize their loved one from the information that the FBI is providing and they can hopefully identify them many of the bodies were never found because he dumped them in areas where there were swamps so they were probably eaten by alligators or other areas where animals were likely to have consumed them. So he has said, I killed these people, but there are no bodies to do any DNA sampling or anything for families to claim them. Yeah, back to how like reminiscent this is of John Wayne Gacy. Like He still has a decent portion of victims who are still unidentified, like just people who they could not pinpoint. Um, and to this day, people are still working to... like attempt to identify like if they had a family member go missing at the time of which these people committed these crimes in these specific areas luckily now we've gotten pretty far as far as like dna Mm -hmm. and um what we can do with like remaining skeletons and stuff like that but yeah there are also drawings of the women that little drew himself and you can view these videos and drawings on just the fbi.gov website which could also help you identify starting to rain really hard but could also help you identify um someone that you may be missing yeah samuel little died at the age of 80 on december 30th 2020 so very recently a cause of death was not released um i'm kind of sick and i hope it was painful but um he did have diabetes and heart disease and some other things and he was 80 so i mean it could have just been natural causes i looked to see it is raining hell hard out there right now. It's, I feel like we might be... You guys <laughs> might be listening to a tornado. But, um, so... Yeah. Yeah, it was... Um, this is going to end up being kind of a shorter episode, which is kind of strange considering 93 victims. There really just wasn't a whole... I mean, I didn't want to go through and detail victim after victim. It felt kind of morbid. I um, will say... Um, I have like a little story which is what made us want to look into this case to begin with but I was at a birthday party uh, a week or so ago like around Father's Day time and there was someone there that I was talking to whose parents believe that they came into like direct contact with Sam Little because when he went to prison for like the final time they mapped out his like trek across America because this man was going everywhere like he was not staying in one place and they 
her parents said that they were like driving in like the back roads i'm assuming like across the river like that weird area mm-hmm. where um where we live in illinois missouri is right across the river right there and um i'm assuming that's where they were driving and they said that they saw this man who flagged them down on the side of the road and he was asking them for directions from st louis to chicago like how can i get there what is the best way for me to take he was on foot didn't have a car at the time that they know of and they were like trying to help him out like oh this is how you like get there and then he asked to like come in their car and no nope, that's a hard no look at their map and she said that her mom rec- or realized that he had like medical gloves on his hand and this was like at nighttime in the back country woods roads whatever and she was like yeah no i don't think we're gonna do that like that's a little odd and they just like sped off but they didn't think anything of it until later when Sam was caught and, like, at the exact time that they had that conversation with that person, that was when he was, like, making his trek from St. Louis up to Chicago. hmm So, there's a creepy little story. Little. He was right in our neck of the woods. Yeah. Terrifying. These, these serial killer ones, um, to me, are scarier than the paranormal ones because... Oh, definitely. They're real. These poor people are just living their lives. Like, that's the one thing that I think you might have said when we were watching the John Wayne Gacy documentary. I mean, you're just living your life and then you become a victim of a serial killer. And mm-hmm. it's just sad and scary that you could be snuffed out, knock on wood, by somebody just... Yeah. Like, you, like, watch these documentaries Ugh. and all of the family talks about how, like, the victim was just, like, their brother who was like 15 and heard about like a contracting job like in the case of John Wayne Gacy mm-hmm. and then he went to go like fill out an application for him and then just never came back yeah. it's just like normal things where you don't like stop to think like well this could be like my last time out the door right. because the person that I'm meeting could be someone who has Psychotic nefarious tendencies. like plans with me it's really scary There, I definitely find them way scarier than the paranormal because as one of our past episodes like, the active serial killers in the United States, like, there's more than I'm willing to think about, right. because it's... And that's just the people that, I mean... We know of. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, I hate it. So, we're gonna try this new thing, just so everybody knows, where Emma's gonna start doing the true crime episodes, so she's gonna write the true crime episodes, and so I will be just hearing the stories fresh from her when she's telling them. Which I think would be cool. Like we're trying to kind of split it up a little bit and make it a little easier to get more episodes out, I think, is our ultimate goal. But So I'm going to take over and start doing the paranormal, and then Emma's going to hear about those stories, hopefully for the first time. But I think we kind of know most paranormal haunted places. But I'm going to try I'm and find sure some, some other. I'm going to try and find some cool ones where she's banned from Ghost Adventure. Adventures for a minute so I can have some fresh material. I also kind of want to, um, when I'm doing my stories, I kind of want to insert some like recent missing persons cases too because yeah. there are still like things that we could be vigilant and active about and like try to bring some people home. But yeah, for sure. Yeah. All so right. So there's the horrifying tale of America's deadliest serial killer on record. It's also crazy to me that like we have all these document documentaries about like Ted Bundy and. Jeffrey Dahmer and all that, but we have this man who literally killed almost a hundred people, and he has not seen 
massive production, to my knowledge. I haven't. Yeah, so seen please. Seen a big Netflix display yet. If you're listening, stop making Ted Bundy movies and start doing some other ones. Yeah, and also Free Britney. I wanted to say that at the beginning of this, <laughs> but that was something that is relevant right now. If you're not in the know, get in the know about what's going on with Britney Spears. Yeah, it's pretty sick. All right, so don't forget to like and follow us on your preferred listening platform. Leave a five-star review or rating. And please share your stories with us via email at monstersandmixers2 at gmail.com or through Monsters and Mixers podcast on Facebook. You can just click on the email button right from there. And we will see you next time when we dive into another terrifying tale and concoct a new delicious drink to wash down the horror. Now get out there and meet some ghosts and make some toasts.